Hey everyone, this is Josh. I wanted to record this to update everyone. Many of you all saw on our social media that our live episode that was scheduled for today, Thursday, April 22nd, 2021, has been postponed due to a family emergency of mine. I first wanted to thank you all for your wonderful messages and prayers. They are greatly, greatly appreciated. And I also wanted to update you that everything is fine. Um, we just had some unexpected circumstances that uh, came up over the past few days, and it made it unsure whether um, we'd be able to go forward with the recording on Thursday. And so rather than giving it even later notice, whether being postponed or not, we decided to go ahead and postpone it. Um, Because also with all of that mixed with a few other things that have happened over the past few days for me, it's just put me into a weird headspace trying to get all of that worked out. And then we will be getting back into the swing of recording episodes and going forward. So this is not going to be a long postponement. And as soon as we have a new date, I will let you know. Probably it will happen within the next month. But I wanted to let anyone know that may not have seen it on our social media that, yes, the event tonight was postponed. You did not miss it. So the co-host team and I will be reorganizing the uh, episode publishing schedule. I guess that's what you would call it, whatever it's called. We're going to be reorganizing all of that with these new changes so we can continue getting stuff out. But in the meantime, I was thinking, what then are we going to post, you know, right now? And I thought, you know, May 1st is the two-year birthday of Life on Side B crazy. We've been doing this for two years in the middle of season three. So I thought we would go ahead for today and go through some moments from the current top 10 most listened to episodes of the podcast. Obviously, the top 10 most listened to episodes fluctuates with time, some rise, some fall as we make new episodes. All of those things change. But we're going to look at where the episodes are right now. So we're going to start with number 10 and we'll move our way up. You know, who knows? Another question that we get a lot on the podcast is where should I start listening on the podcast? This might be a great place because you're going to get a sample of a lot of different really, 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 really great episodes. So if you know someone who's wanting to listen to the podcast that they don't know where to start, who knows? This may be the best place or it might be the worst place. I don't know. Anyway, we're going to get into it. Number 10 on the top 10 most listened to episodes is one that we get a lot of good feedback on from season one, episode 16, Max on Celibate Partnerships. Both of our our episodes on partnerships have been so well received. uh, And I think it's because there's just not a lot of resources on celibate partnerships. So I'm really glad that we've been able to talk about that so far on the podcast. And we will definitely can do more on it in the future. There's just so much to get to and so little time. So now we're going to go listen to a section of that discussion. How would you define a celibate partnership for those who've never heard of the term? I think it is important to recognize that different people might have different definitions for uh, what they would consider a celibate partnership. So for me and uh, Jonathan, I think we're committed to each other. Um, we have promised to take care of each other and to look out for each other. It's basically like almost just kind of 
inviting each other to be family, you know, to be that person that you have a sense of responsibility for and obligation mm-hmm. to. Uh, we're a team, and unlike a heterosexual marriage, you know, we are intentionally celibate. You know, there's no, you know, I think that the one flesh bond that a husband and wife have is not something that we have. Um, and so I think that's that's the major distinction. But otherwise, I think it's almost like making uh, someone literally your your brother, your companion, your your friend, and having that sort of very intentional, you know, I'm here for you, you're here for me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I totally agree with what you said at the beginning. And that's kind of why I wanted to ask you um, about your definition of it, even along with um, Matt, who I talked to in the last episode, because I, I do agree with what you said that different people will probably define it in a different way. And so that becomes important to hear from different voices and see hear how different people define it and how different people, how it's realized in different, you know, partnerships. So could you share a little bit about, first of all, I guess, how you first learned about this concept of a celibate partnership and also how you and your partner met? Um, I don't really know where I, I learned about it. I think it was something that maybe someone had floated on a blog post somewhere back when I was blogging. You know, I, I think, you know, lots of people had mentioned it before as a possibility or had, had at least debated it of whether or not it was a good thing. And I, and I was kind of agnostic to that whole debate until I met Jonathan and we really hit it off. So he actually met me through my blog. Um, he was at another university and uh, he was also gay and Christian. And um, I think he found my blog through a comment I had left on another blog because I mean, I don't know if you were kind of around during that time period, but everyone had a blog. I yeah. feel like one who was gay and Christian or, or same sex attracted or what have you was, was kind of, putting their heart and soul out onto the internet in a way that kind of subsided a bit when I think social media uh, took off more. Mm -hmm. But so I, yeah, he, so he found my blog and he reached out to me in an email and we corresponded for a few months uh, before I drove to visit him. He was only a few hours away. So he he was not very far and we just hit it off. Um, we had a lot in common outside of our faith and sexuality, which is very important. And I think about a year after we met, I don't know how it came up in conversation. I don't know if he asked me or I asked him, but the topic of, of a solid partnership came up and, um, we agreed that we would like to try and, and we did. And despite some bumps, it's, it's worked out for the past eight years. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that Matt had said in the last episode, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, is mm-hmm. he had said that when he got into a partnership and since then, really the fact of being in a partnership has really developed and changed his understanding of the whole concept as going on, you know, as they walked and as they learned more and dealt with kind of explaining it to other people and those kind of things. What has been your experience with those, with that? 
I, I think you certainly are figuring things out as you go along. You know, if that's if that's what Matt meant, then I yeah. agree with that because you know there is no real model for this. You know, you you talk about um, a marriage, and there are plenty of resources and plenty of books and people willing to give advice about what that should be and what that should look like. And the Bible itself gives you a framework for what that should look like. And and this is not that, you know, I would say that if, if 21st century society was as healthy as it should be, and if it was as Christ oriented as it should be, there wouldn't necessarily be a reason for me and Jonathan to have a self partnership. Hmm. But I think, in our society because it is so difficult for people who are single and they're outside of the marriage paradigm, especially in a church, I think it's, it's more necessary for us. And so we've kind of had to figure out, okay, what does this look like? You know, we're not, you know, a married couple in the religious sense, you know, you know, we are a, we are a celibate, commitment but what does that look like and and i think we're still answering those questions and we're still open to answering those questions um because i I don't want to act like i have everything figured out or that i know exactly what all the answers to these questions are i'm still kind of i don't want to say making it up as i go along but being willing being willing to listen as i go along has been really important as I edit this together, it's so interesting for me even to listen back to some of these because I remember exactly where I was recording all of these, both mentally, emotionally, and physically, because many of these were recorded in different countries and different states all over the place. Anyway, with that, I, I loved the conversation with Max. It was one of those ones when, that when I was um, doing season one, even from the beginning, I was looking forward to talking to Max because Max is someone I've looked up to for a very, very, very long time. We're now going to move in to number nine. This episode shot right up in downloads when it was first posted, and I'm not surprised. Uh, we had a guest on that Grant spoke with who's actually now coming out with a book in October, uh, Bridget came on and talked with us about victimization and marginalization and her book coming out this fall called uh, heavy burdens uh, is totally going to be something you're going to want to check out and hopefully we can have her on to talk about that at some point again so many topics to get to anyway now we're going to listen to a clip from bridget's episode with grant and i i think that in many churches there is uh, a burden that is placed on LGBTQ people that shouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, and I, I think of, you know, in Pilgrim's Progress, where... <laughs> oh, deep cut. Where, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you think of Pilgrim's Progress, if you've ever read that story or are familiar with that story, Christian, he arrives at the cross and he's carrying this heavy burden on his back, right? And mm-hmm. he gets to the cross and his moment of salvation when he looks at the cross is simultaneously a moment when the burden slips from his back and tumbles away. (laughs) 
And I think many LGBTQ people experience their faith as arriving at the cross, having this burden taken away by Jesus Christ, but then a Christian comes around with an even greater burden and throws mm. it right back on their back and then tells them that they have to journey all the way to the celestial city like that. Yeah. And that's not the gospel. That is <laughs> denying the work of Jesus Christ. Um, and mm. so I guess my book is really wanting to kind of identify what are some of these burdens and how can we let these go so that LGBTQ people can truly experience the freedom of what it means to walk with Jesus Christ without um, burdens that are too heavy to bear. Yeah. Are there any, um, any particular burdens or particular themes that have stuck out to you as you've been thinking about this and heard stories? Yeah, I think a big one we talked about already uh, was fear of sin. Mm -hmm. um, and just how that winds up becoming this all-encompassing thing that can rule the life of a person and yeah. you know, really ca cause them to experience their spiritual life as a prison rather <laughs> than something that is liberating. Um, and so that's definitely one. Um, I think another theme is uh, double standards that are um, sometimes levied where expectations are placed upon LGBTQ people um, to achieve a level of purity that is never expected of a straight or a cisgender person. Mm. Um, and where there's grace for a straight person to mess up and make mistakes. There is no such thing for a gay yeah. person. And um, that just doesn't work in the Christian life because the Christian life is, you know, full of ups and downs and falling on your face and getting back up. And <laughs> if an entire group of people doesn't have grace to fall down and mess up and make mistakes, then really, the Christian life is impossible. We're expecting them to be perfect the moment they get saved yeah. rather than recognizing that the process of sanctification is a journey and mm. that takes time and is not going to look the same um, for every single person. And uh, another, another theme that has come up as I've been writing and, you know, talking to people and, you know, getting their perspective and hearing their stories is uh, how much LGBTQ people just need space, hmm. um, need, need the freedom to make their own choices instead of having those choices made for them. Hmm. And uh, more than one person has told me that even though they are pursuing celibacy, even though they have chosen to live by a traditional sexual ethic, it makes such a difference to know that that is not a condition for 
their fellow Christian to love mm. them, that they could not have that be true, but still know that they could be loved and accepted. Um, yeah. And more than one person has told me that, like, just knowing that they have that space and that freedom actually makes it easier for them to pursue celibacy and easier <laughs> to yeah. follow the traditional ethic because um, they know that the love of their community is not conditional. Yeah. And was that, that it's not that false gospel you were talking mm -hmm. about earlier, um, mm -hmm. like Christians putting additional burdens <laughs> on the backs of LGBT people yeah. after Jesus has freed them. <laughs> yeah. Or I think uh, setting up another threshold through which people have to pass in yeah. order to encounter Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, definitely. Exactly. I also remember recording that episode because I, well, you know, even when the co-hosts uh, are doing episodes on their own, I'm producing it, so I'm listening to it. I listened to that episode from my car while I was taking Meg to the airport. I think I mentioned that in the season review for season two, um, but yeah, that was that was fun, and that was recorded days before lockdown occurred in 2020. The next episode also comes from season two, and it's one we actually never expected to record. Um, but when we were all in lockdown, we were looking for more um, episode topics because we had more time. And so we thought we would do a fun one to just give people something lighthearted to listen to. And so we asked all of you, uh, what are some of the most interesting things that you've heard straight people say or ask you? And then we brought on my good old friend, Michelle, uh, who came on in season one as well. And then Grant, Mary, and I, we all talked about things straight people say and ask. And during the conversation, we began to respond to the question of, but how do you know that you're gay? And we talked about sexual awakenings and especially had a very interesting conversation about the female experience. So the clip we're going to be listening to is actually from that discussion. So let's go ahead and. What it said. I'm yeah, sorry. no, wow. that's good. Yeah. And because I mean, that's just been. No, that's just been kind of one of the things I've thought through has been I've wondered how much this societal idea that sometimes still persists that women just aren't as sexual beings as men has played into women like lesbians as they're discovering themselves and finding themselves not as attracted to men just kind of saying what you thought like oh maybe i need to do this a few more times before yeah. i figure it out um mm. kind of thing but yeah it's and I, it's hard because i know every person's experience is a little bit different um yeah right it, mm -hmm, go ahead it reminds me of um i don't know if y'all have heard or listened to contrapoints on youtube a couple of times, um, yeah. Fabulous. Natalie Wynn is just amazing in so many ways. So she's she's a transgender woman who um, does like basically YouTube philosophy. Yeah. Um, and she's incredibly intelligent. You don't have to agree with all her points. But um, one of the things she just talked about, she released a video on shame. Mm. And she was talking about her experience of like... First, she had to come out as being trans, I think. And then she came out as bi. And then she realized that she's not actually bi, she's a lesbian. Right. And she had to be like, she had to wrestle with 
um, what she called um, compet, compulsive heterosexuality. This idea that to be a woman is so wrapped up in to be attracted to men that like it's difficult for people to tear them apart, uh, to, to distinguish them. And so she's like, well, I know that I'm a woman. I know I, I'm, I'm trying to be a woman. Um, I know lots of listeners will have thoughts on that. But I, I, want to, I, I want to live as a woman. So that means that I have to be attracted to men, even if I'm not. And so it took like years and years and years for her to process through all that. Um, and just now she just recently came out. Mm. So yeah. I think it's like, a, it's a huge, to some extent this happens for um, compulsive heterosexuality for men too, but I think it might be especially acute for women. I don't know if I don't want to speak authoritatively on that, but from what it seems like listening to, to y'all, it feels more acute for women. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. Um I could go back to media and how even even now when we can say things like, Oh, we've got Wonder Woman, um, my favorite show is Supergirl, we've got all these female protagonists, but very often growing up, you were acted you were the side character and you were just the love mm. interest. And so it was decently wrapped up into the idea of being feminine at all, was to be the love interest and to be the supportive helpmeet and you know all of that be intertwined yeah. and even i wonder if on some level it's also because women um in general are allowed to be more comfortable around each other like you know i had sleepovers mm, yeah. all the time sharing beds and that was not at all weird um, and so it kind of gets wrapped up and uh, rationalized in the narrative as well, because one of my love-hate, I have a love-hate relationship with the word girl crush, because mm. on the one hand, I, I very much stand by, I figured out that I was gay exactly when I needed to figure out, because mm -hmm. otherwise I think the realization would have killed me. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, so there's that. But there's also the fact that I definitely daydreamed about kissing my um, my college uh, friend, you know, in freshman year and said, wow, I guess this is just that lesbian experience that they say you'll have once in college. Wow. Glad I got that <laughs> over with. I'll never have to worry about this uh, again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so it's all oh, rationalized yeah. in that. And I think you will constantly find a synthesis to rationalize it away. And I think that's the wall that a lot of girls crop up against. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I would um, argue. I think for me, I never necessarily struggled with the whole like college lesbian experience because like to me, it was just <laughs> like, it didn't appeal to me. Um, I uh, was more right. busy fantasizing about guys. <laughs> um, mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think it's kind I of- I relate to you. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, the bonding. <laughs> the bonding. Yeah. I love this. Um, but I think I think going back to the whole uh like female thing, I think female experience thing, I think it's a lot of it is that in our culture a lot of a woman's identity is wrapped up in men. It's wrapped up in mm. um men's identities because there is that tradition of the women being the helpmate and the women um kind of being like the sidekick in a sense. Um, and I think mm. in recent years that's been changing. So, I mean, I don't want to say that like, that's still the case, 
for in general, but um, but I think that that kind of like where the woman is allowed to be softer and the woman is allowed to be uh, where women are allowed to be more comfortable around each other. Like you walk down the street and it's not weird for you to see two women holding hands, even if they're uh, two very heterosexual mm -hmm. women. Um, yeah. Like, but it's strange to see men holding hands. Um, and so yeah. I think it's just a lot of, like the female identity is still so wrapped up and ingrained into the male identity that it's kind of hard to take it apart a little bit. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. I love this conversation. We're going to move to uh, another yeah. point because <laughs> we have a lot more stuff yes. that people want. That was so helpful. It was. Though. It was, it was so good to really hear good. From and you know what, Grant, we should, we should change the stereotype that men can, well, actually we wouldn't be changing the stereotype that if men go down the street holding hands, that they're not straight. So we wouldn't <laughs> help them. Yeah. We would be reinforcing the stereotype. <laughs> we would be reinforcing. That just, that just hit my brain. Um. Okay. I don't care. It's cute. Yeah, so. That was a super, super fun episode to record. And we actually did a extension of it we did a bonus episode where we continued to read more we couldn't fit it all into one episode and we did that for the patreon page so after you listen to the pay the episode on the regular podcast if you still want more you can find more on our patreon page so you can go there we're on to the next one number seven uh revoice 2020 was virtual and during that time Peter Volk did a talk on side B theology and there was a lot of discussion around it and so after Revoice uh, Grant and I then had a discussion with him um, going in depth a little bit more depth about uh, his talk side B theology what it looks like the diversity of thought within it and where we all come down on these issues. So now we're going to head into a clip of that conversation with Peter Volk talking about side B theology. I think so many LGBT people, especially side B LGBT people are afraid of engaging in theology because of the way theology has been used mm -hmm. as a weapon against us. And I like that you ta you talked about that in your talk about how we we have to make sure we're not using it as a weapon to just simply make LGBT people do what we want them to do. And like how, I, I think that's one of the healthy places that in this conversation we have to find how to engage theology, but not use it as a weapon against LGBT people. And what, how, what do you think are some of the like primers of how we can be able to start having that kind of conversation? Yeah, so I think if we're talking about, uh, if we're asking this question about particularly straight pastors and parents, it's really hard for a side B gay Christian to see hypocrisy in their church or in their family when it comes to sexual ethics and sexual stewardship for all, and then take seriously any arguments for a traditional sexual ethic for gay people. Mm. Um, so yeah. my suggestion to straight pastors and parents is that before you start arguing for a traditional sexual ethic for gay people, um, are you taking seriously what the Bible has to say about sexual stewardship for all people? I think that's really important. Yeah, because because somehow convincing gay people to become more convinced of a traditional sexual ethic is not going to make them magically experience less pain from the church's poor support of gay people and celibate people and people mm. in mixed orientation marriages. That's just not how it works. 
So, uh, you know, for the straight yeah. pastor and parent, I think that's my, that's my first suggestion is kind of take care of your own house, uh, your own uh, people who have the same story as you or coming from the same space as you um, and earn that credibility. Uh, I think if you're asking that question for side B gay Christians, honestly, you know, like once you're kind of convinced of a traditional sexual ethic, I don't see a point and spending time and energy and tears trying to like push the dial on your certainty from like 90% to 95% or a hundred percent or whatever, or from 80% to 95%. Like, I think our time is better spent focusing on how can we meet our intimacy needs in healthy ways? How can we get what we need to thrive according to God's wisdom? You know, knowing that the church might not get too much better in our lifetime. Uh, I think that's a better use of our time. And trying to 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 get ourselves to a hundred percent certain. Um, that, that's my personal opinion. Um, what do you think? You you talked a little bit about using theology, like not using theology as a weapon against LGBT people. Um, and you you talked about how it's um, it's easy to do. When you talked about how important it is not to do that, what should be the goal or the focus when approaching? theology about LGBT issues? Is there a goal beyond just figuring out um, what not to do or what to do sexually, like boundaries and stuff? What What's the guiding goal behind all that for you? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think for me, like personally, when I was in middle school, the first question I was asking was like, is gay sex a sin? Um, it's the question yeah. we all ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's the question middle schoolers ask. That's not the question 40 year old pastors should be asking. Yeah. Um, because like, at least for me, when like I grew up, I realized that a much better use of my time and energy was focusing on the opposite question. Like, right. Not, not what is bad, but instead, what mm. did God deny me for? How did God order the world beautifully? What was I made for? Like, if I'm made for intimacy in the context of family, what are the best paths God has laid out for me to enjoy those? And focus on that. Focus on what I can say yes to. I mean, we've got so many different speakers at Revoice in different spaces in the side B world. Talk about, we've got to focus on the yes and not the no. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that should be the goal, the focus when we're approaching theology on, uh, on LGBT plus topics and, and issues we need to focus on what gay people can say yes to that mm. will be good for them, that will bring goodness to their life, that will honor God, that will bring glory to God. Um, so, yeah. So, for me, I, I first – I think we should first focus on God's design and wisdom for sexual stewardship for all people and then ask how that informs how I, a gay person, uh, can thrive. Um uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think personally that I need maybe a, a, a special version of theology for me as a gay person to know what God's best is for me. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't focus on yeah. personally. I don't focus on whether or not gay sex is a sin or, or whatever, whether God would bless a gay marriage. I ask God, what is his best for his people? And then I commit mm-hmm. not to for anything less. Um, that's yeah. what I do. Yeah. yeah that reminds me of, um, one of the the more formative books for me in my spiritual journey of reconciling faith and sexuality was Eve Tushnet's book Gay and Catholic. Um, and one of the winning lines, uh, it's so good, it's so good. Um, but one of the 
the the lines that stuck out to me was uh, she said, "No one has a vocation of no. Mm. Um, everyone has a vocation of yes to something, and so we have to figure out what the yes is, not just the no." So I think that's yeah, that was really really helpful, Peter. Yeah, that's that is really good. Like I, when you talked about a book, like how this connects to a book that's influential to you, I thought I I was literally about to talk about the same thing, but I was wondering if we were going to talk about the same book. For me, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the book that has been was just so beautifully done for me that helped in this. Um, and you know, having ta- having earlier talked about that there aren't many books, I'll love to recommend books that I do know of that are really good. For me, yeah. it was Deborah Hirsch's book, Redeeming Sex. Oh, and, I haven't read that one. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> I Deborah need Hirsch, to read if you it. are all listening, please come on this podcast. You are. Amazing. We love you. We <laughs> want you to come to this podcast, please. Yes. Plus, she has a sweet accent. Oh, I know. Does I she? know. I've heard her speak, <laughs> and I'm like, oh. I'm Australian, I think. yeah, Australian. Um, I love how she does very much what you're saying is like, rather than just focusing, if all we make this focus is on, like, is gay sex bad or is it good or or whatever, um, we're missing the whole entire thing of really developing what was God's vision for sexuality, and I love that mm. even for Deborah Hirsch, the vision of sexuality is even more than just about who you can have sex with because her vision of sexuality is that sexuality is how we relate to people, not just through sex, but through all of our relationships, whether that be through friendship, community. Um, And she lays out, you know, sexuality as three parts of sexuality, gender sexuality, social sexuality, and genital sexuality, gender sexuality, how we understand ourselves as a male or female, social sexuality, Mm -hmm. all of our interactions, and genital sexuality, obviously, who we have intercourse with, Um, and how each of these then reflect the eternal in different ways and deals with it in a really great, great way of kind of like what you were saying of we have to be understanding how this fits for all people, straight people, queer people, all of this together, um, because the moment that we focus on one small issue within it, we're losing the vision of the rest of it. That is another conversation that was so long that we ended up doing both a regular episode and a bonus episode to encompass the whole conversation. Well, the the bonus episode was just an expansion. It was just some questions we wanted to get to that we didn't end up getting to get to in the main episode. Um, But again, if you love that episode and you want more, you can check some more out on the Patreon page. Um, So, you know, overall, we're going to be going over the top 10 episodes, but we're going to split them into two episodes. That means you have to come back next week to get the top five episodes. But we're going to finish out today with number six, which is a, a special favorite of mine. I really loved doing this conversation. It was so much fun. Um, But, you know, in season one, we talked with Dean Samuels um, about mixed orientation marriage. And that was a really fun conversation. And as I was previewing that episode with my brother, Ed, he said, well, that's great, but you should also get the perspective of his wife. And I was like, huh, you know what? That's a really good idea. And so 
that is how this episode came about. So now we're going to listen to a clip of season one, episode five, Lisa on mixed orientation marriage, the straight perspective. Um, so with that then, moving along, um, so since we've talked about the struggles, what would you say are some of the biggest blessings that you have gotten from being in a mixed orientation marriage? So I think that um, the biggest thing is that we have really been able to be involved in the LGBTQ plus community. Mm. This, like the side B community, the LGBT community has brought people into our lives that are our family. I mean, they are our brothers and sisters. They are our daughters, aunts and uncles. They come to birthday parties. They go out of their way to send videos when they're in other countries. I mean, one of our friends sent our daughter a video when he was at a castle in another country. And he was like, look, I'm at a castle. Like (laughs) these, these things that we just don't really get from other places, they have become our family. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's been so beautiful to have that chosen family, which is often how the LGBTQ community has family in general, because so often they've been kind of abandoned, but um you know, to have these people in our lives and, and to be reminded, I mean, and we're obviously not closed minded, but to be reminded, like people are people, our people Mm -hmm. are people, you know, and we've just gained a beautiful family from it. I think another thing um, that I've been able to just truly relish is the fact that relationships don't have to be normal or traditional. Yeah. And I think there was a while that I just genuinely longed to feel like my relationship was like my friend's relationships. Yeah. Um, but in reality, you know, it's like those, those mediocre, like sex a couple times a week arguments over stupid stuff. Uh, yes. Like it's just, and for some reason I wanted that because Pinterest and Facebook and all of this world that we mm. live in, but I don't need two and a half children on a white picket fence. Yes. <laughs> like, I genuinely love what I have and I love that it's different and it's unique and it's good. And, and we don't have to present ourselves as other couples to be a good, healthy, beautiful couple. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's another thing that I, that I've gotten from it is just really being able to come to terms with the fact that like, no, we are not your average couple when it comes down to it. But like, that's what, that's what makes us who we are. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes just being in our world, it's just awesome to even when you can embrace your uniqueness and what makes you unique and just be like, yeah, it's different. And that's, that's me. You know, yeah. there's something beautiful to that. And I think there's something even divinely godlike in that, that he does, God does not want, I think we sometimes mix up um, sanctification with uniformity mm-hmm. and thinking that in order to become like God wants us to, we have to become like everyone else in the church. Yeah. And that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to be like him, but that looks differently in every person's life in many ways. Absolutely. The circumstances are going to be different. You know, when I, when I committed myself to celibacy, that was really hard for me to go realize that my life was not going to look like necessarily the life that I had expected it. Yeah. Um, 
And, and there's something of when you embrace that, then you can enjoy the beauty in it. At first, it's hard embracing it and it feels like a sacrifice. But then I really feel over time, it actually becomes a gift. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, my life looks nothing like what I planned. But, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think, I mean, it's better. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I just recorded, uh, well, this, we're, we're, we're recording this on Sunday. Um, tomorrow, Monday. Uh, I am releasing a short little, what we're calling side B detours um, before this episode comes out. And in that, I kind of talked about how that's kind of been my life has been embracing God was not something that I wanted. But then now looking back on it, I'm like, I love what I have, Mm -hmm. you know, and I wouldn't give it up. I I wouldn't have said that at the beginning, but you get to that place. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. mm -hmm. And, you know, as you kind of, have been around your friends, you know, who, who look like they, you know, have the normal, you know, (laughs) marriage and everything. And as you've come to a place of acceptance of your own marriage, uh, what would you, what what do you feel like single orientation marriages could learn from your marriage and marriages like yours? Um, I think a huge thing is allow your partner to be free to be who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Allowing your spouse to be genuine and real is just so important. Yeah. Um, And I think we just live in a world that puts so many labels on people and has such strange expectations Mm. that we tend to put people in a box and they think that they need to stay in that box. And I, that's just not healthy. And also I just, I think that we can learn that gender roles are kind of stupid. Like, I mean, some wives don't cook. Like I do not cook. I am a terrible cook. I go in the kitchen to pour wine. Like that's all. Um, some husbands don't unclog the bathtub drain. Like Mm -hmm. that's okay. Um, I think there's just, again, a beauty to just kind of accepting who you are and rolling with your strengths and not trying to change each other. I mean, of course there are things that, that have to change if, your husband has never changed a baby's diaper and you're having a kid, he should probably learn. Probably. But, <laughs> but like, if, you're, if your husband doesn't like football, that doesn't make him any less of a man. Yeah. If your wife isn't the, the best at laundry, that doesn't mean she's suddenly not a wonderful wife or a good mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just get, legitimately sick over some of the gender role expectations that I see. And I just see couples falling into that and, and women primarily, because obviously I'm not spending a lot of one-on-one time with guys, but, but women primarily saying things like I'm such a bad wife. Like I haven't gotten the dishes done and like, or like my husband expects me to have the house completely clean by the time he gets home, but I've been taking care of the kids all day. And it's like, I think there's just some beauty to cutting each other slack and letting each other be who you are. And if you suck at laundry, split it up, man. Exactly. Like, you know, there's just, it, I really just struggle with, with gender roles and with people trying mm. to change each other, honestly. Yeah. All right, y'all. Well, that is it for right now. We've give, we've gotten through five. We have five more to go as we celebrate two years of life on side B. I'm even surprised we made it through one. And here we are at the end of two years in the middle of season three 
all of these things. Um, hope you've enjoyed this. Hope if you've already heard these episodes, hope it's been a nice uh, walk down memory lane. And if there's any episode here that you haven't listened to and it intrigued you, go back, listen to the whole thing. They're all great. And I can't wait for you to hear what episodes are in our top five. So um, I'll be sharing that with you in our next episode. But for now, let us know um, what you thought. Share, talk with us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. If you are in our Patreon Discord community, let's have a chat there. Let's talk about what you thought of these um, clips. If you hadn't heard these before, if something new came up since you listened to the episode last, we want to hear from you. Remember, if you love this podcast, subscribe so you get alerted when new episodes come out. Uh, review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Reviews do help more people find us. So um, thank you for being amazing listeners. Uh, if you're a patron, thank you for being a patron. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.